Hello guys, welcome to the next episode of the Challenger Tour podcast. I'm going to talk about uh, the four Challenger 50s that happened this week, but also let's actually start with the US Open qualifying. As you guys know, you know, this is a thing that we cover on the show because basically it's like a Challenger, it's the same sort of field, and it's just really exciting to see how these players are going to do in the main draw. So when Jakub was around, you know, when he when we did the 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 sort of episodes together, of course it was a competition between us like who gets the most qualifying predictions right this time i surely would have lost because i only had one out of 16 which is yeah just awful i don't think i've ever had a score like this i've had two before but one one out of 16 i don't think so so um yeah i definitely wouldn't be doing well in that and also we had this draft pick game of the qualifiers which obviously right now is not really an option however i with every single qualifier i will mention their draw and I will also just talk about, you know, whether they can, in my opinion, do something in the main draw or not. And this is what we're going to start with, then go to the to the four Challenger 50s that we had. And then, of course, preview the free events of next week. Um, I'm recording this on Monday morning, so the US Open has not yet started. Monday morning, my time, European time zone. Uh, Central European, I guess it, it's called, or like whatever. But, well, anyway, it doesn't really matter. Um, and yeah, let's just get down to the to the qualifying competition. In the first section, we had Enzo Quaco uh, making it through. So by now, he's actually made it through uh, five of the last six times, which is ridiculous. 15 and one win-loss record, and only that, that one loss in Paris to Misolic from 6-5-5 love up. I don't get how he does it, you know, and this was also a very tough qualifying section, I think, because he played um, Munar, the top seed in the qualities, then Kukushkin back in form, and then Giulio Zapieri. I think Zapieri was a bit injured in the last two sets, but still phenomenal effort from uh, the Frenchman. Uh, it's it's going to be a bit of a topic here, a bit of a theme, a bit of a trend that some players just seem to be better at Grand Slam qualifying than others. And it's generally pretty tough to explain that. And Quaco is actually the betting favorite in his opening round against Iji Vesely. I'm not sure that's right. You know, Vesely has been so good at the slums this year. Also in Kozerki, we had him on the show, right, uh, talking to me and... Um, I was impressed with his level, even though he blew these two match points with, against Hassan. So I think maybe Vesely just, you know, brings the same sort of motivation that he did against Korda and Tsitsipas this year. Uh, but it is a winnable opportunity for Quaco and then potentially Sfaida or Serundolo. Who knows, maybe Quaco is actually going to have a run at this slam. Obviously, at the Australian Open in 2023, the beginning of the year, he was the only player to take a set of Novak Djokovic. So that was quite an achievement as well. And my pick in this section was Bellucci, who lost in the opening round to Kukushkin. Um, not a great pick, I suppose, but this was a very even section. I felt like everyone but maybe Janessi had a chance to qualify. And eventually it just ends up being one of the Grand Slam qualifying goats in Enzo, in Enzo Quaco. And in the second section we had Tituan Droguet, who I think was maybe playing for the second time only after, after Ron Garros. And yeah, he was just excellent. He beat Garin uh, Sandgren from 2-5 down in the third and then Kopejans. So he's actually on a phenomenal run, uh, about like 23 and 4 since the beginning of, um, since the middle of June. And this is like all levels. This is ITFs, this is challengers, this is now Grand Slam qualifying. Uh, so a really ridiculous patch of play from, from the Frenchman who seems to us like he has a very basic game and maybe that kind of is the case still but he is executing it at such a high level at the moment. And he um, beat Kopejans, as I said. My pick was Diallo, who lost to Kopejans in the opening round. It was a very tight match, and I felt like it might be a problem round. If Diallo won, you know, who knows? Maybe he qualifies, maybe he doesn't. Anyway, great stuff from Tituan Droguet, who is going to play... Um, let me uh, remember Lorenzo Musetti in the opening round of the US Open. So probably not going to win there. You know, Musetti has been so consistent across all surfaces in the past two, three months. It's kind of hard to imagine Droga winning that, but um, still fantastic achievement. Third qualifying section, I had Bagnis, who lost in the second round to Meligeni Alves, and it's Meligeni Alves who managed to make it through. He beats Tina, the aforementioned Bagnis, and also Coria. 
And honestly, he was one of the players, I think, in the main, in the draw as a whole, like who felt most at ease with the conditions, you know, the combination of quick courts and uh, um, heavy balls. And uh, Maligani Alves' like attacking play style just felt very right for this. Against Korea in the final qualities round, he almost had a massive choke because he was 6-4-5-4 up. And then actually, it actually went to the third set. He had to save too much points. And this also is really meaningful because at Ron Garros, when he had a chance to debut in the Grand Slam main draw, he choked against Skatov in the final round. So clearly this meant a lot to him, perhaps a bit too much. And right now, he might actually have a good shot in the main draw as well because he's playing uh, a lucky loser, James Duckworth, and then Baez or Chorich. So it's not unwinnable, you know, against Duckworth, who was struggling physically in the final qualities round. I think he's the favorite. I have not yet checked the odds. I'm not sure if they are they are even there. Yeah, actually, it's it's like tied for the bookies. I, I think he's actually the favorite there. And um, yeah, he was supposed to play Nishikori, but Nishikori withdrew. Uh, but a fantastic qualifying campaign from Maligani Alves. And finally, that debut that he was so close to it in Paris and just messed it up uh, pretty badly. Then in the fourth section, I got my only point. So embarrassing, but it was Taro Daniel. Uh, I said that he's like too good to play Grand Slam qualifying, and he kind of was. He still lost a set to Hong, but the third set wasn't competitive at all. And Taro Daniel, uh, just one of the most, um, yeah, just easiest qualifying campaigns. He gets to play Gal Monfils in the first round, which I think is a pretty exciting matchup. When they played five, four years ago at the French, he only lost five games, Monfils. Uh, but of course, uh, the, the sort of the scenario, the script is very different this time because Monfils is coming back. Well, the last three events, he was excellent. So I don't know, maybe maybe Daniel will hope to just beat him in the best of five format because it's longer. He can try, but if Monfils plays like he did in Washington and the Canada Cincy double, it could be a very tough opponent actually. And then fifth qualifier, uh, fifth section, we had Zakari Sfaida pushing through. I had David Goffin, who lost to Denis Novak in the first round. Very disappointing exit, I think, especially as Novak didn't do anything against Polmans in the second round. And Zakari Sfaida, he beat Ivan Gakov in the deciding set tiebreak and then played much better against Pospicil and Mark Polmans, only giving him three games. Sfaida, some great great memories from the US Open because in 2021 and 2019 he won Kalamazoo, so he got the major wildcard. He took Lorenzi to five sets, he beat um, Cecchinato and then took a set of Sinner in 2021. Maybe he has a shot against Serundolo, but of course it's like Franz Serundolo, not, not Juan Manuel. But of course, it's like more, he needs an off day from the Argentinian with his play style, I think, with, with Sfaida's, um, yeah, just a little defensive, a little just solid game and not much else. I think he kind of needs an off day from Serundolo to have a shot there. But Serundolo is not the most consistent player in the world. So it, it could happen for him, I think. In the sixth section, we had uh, Lukas Klein make the final qualifying round, so Jakub would have been satisfied with the first two wins, I think especially with the one over Maximilian Marterer, who was my pick to qualify and was like 9-0 lifetime in US Open qualifying. But Klein kind of blew it from a set and a break up in the deciding, like in the final round. Hugo Gaston managed to make it, managed to make it, managed to qualify. And it has to be said that Gaston uh, was involved in like crazy matches all all week. You know, he was a set and a breakdown, as I said, to Klein. Same against Escoffier. And against Shimizu, the, the Japanese actually served for the match and it was an unbelievable thriller. So um, Gaston makes it through the, through Grand Slam qualifying for the first time in his career, actually. Uh, always when he played uh, a main draw of a slam, it was always a wild card or he was just a direct, direct acceptance. So great achievement from him. Although, yeah, the matches that he was involved in were unbelievable. And Gaston is going to play Shoshima Bukuro in the opening round. So clearly winnable. Uh, the bookies can't split them. I honestly can't split them. Gaston has the higher ceiling, 100%. But we all know that he can shoot himself in the foot. And the qualifying was a great example of how tough it's going to be to predict Hugo Gaston matches basically until the end of his career. Uh, 
Seventh section, I was close to a point, and I was close to a point on a few of the these. Like I had a few sections. We haven't really started with them, but we uh, will have a number of sections where my picks were in the final qualifying round. I think I went one and five in the in, in qualies round three, and one of them was Yun Cheng Shang, who was just in business mode until the end of the well un, un, until the, the third match against Otto Virtanen, because the, it's actually the Finn who qualifies. He beats Gomez, Zhang, and Yun. Cheng Shang in all in three sets. He makes his Grand Slam main draw debut. Obviously, the last few months have not been kind to Virtanen, but he has potential naturally. And against Shang, the third set was really fantastic. Like if he's able to play like this against Achaveri in the main draw, I think he has a real shot. Then again, you kind of have to remember that Echeverry on hard courts is not exactly uh, Delian Chakinato. You know, th- this isn't a player who just struggles on it and cannot play on it at all. It's actually a player who I think will be pretty average, even on the main tour, maybe in the future on hard courts if he keeps improving. So, um, yeah, I- I'm not sure how Vitanen is going to do there. I think this is also a bit of a litmus test, you know, just to, to help us sort of gauge where Diffin actually is right now and like how he holds up against main tour players. And the eighth section, we had Borna Goyo qualifying over Thomas Mahach. So another one where my pick, so Mahach lost in the final round. Goyo just with a six serving performance that day, definitely much better than against Medjedovic and Andreev. And it has to be said that Goyo has a fantastic draw because he is playing Ugo Delian. I just mentioned him as one of the players with the worst hardcore records out of, uh, you know, main tour competitors. I think Goyo is like almost a guarantee to win that one. And then he could face Ojalia Seymour McDonald. So it really could be a great event for Borna Goyo. Also, uh, something that deserves a mention, Goyo might break the top 100 during the US Open. It's possible that even the win against Dalian will be enough. Like it, it's still unclear, you know, because maybe some of some guys outside the top 100 can make it. So you never really know. But currently, it seems like one win could be enough. Two wins would guarantee him that you know that that achievement. One win, it's gonna be tricky to assess because of course the the rankings only show up after the second week of the U.S. Open. So it's not, yeah, it's just it's just not clear yet whether this actually happens or not. Um, getting uh, getting to the ninth section, we had Jakub Menschik, probably the most exciting qualifier out of them all. He is, of course, just 17. He will turn 18 on the day that he could play his US Open third round. This was a Grand Slam qualifying debut for Menschik, and he pulled through that super tough section with Fonini, Ridi, and then, of course, Kolash in the final round may be a bit easier, but you also have to have like a degree of maturity to, you know, keep yourself steady in this sort of, um, sorry, under these sort of circumstances. He did a great performance from the 17 year old and yeah, just looking forward into the main draw. I'm actually super excited for his uh, opponents because, well, he plays Barrer. This is a 50-50, I think. And potentially, of course, Manchik should have more potential, especially in outdoors. Barrer is usually not that dangerous. And Menchik against Musetti, I think this would be a good matchup for the Czech. However, you know, let's see if he gets through Barrer first. But it would be really magical for him if on his 18th birthday he was already playing Taylor Fritz in the third round of the US Open. But I'm not greedy. Like, if Menchik beats Barrer and loses to Musetti, I'm going to be satisfied with his event as well. And um, yeah, the 10th section, I had another guy who reached the final round and lost, Liam Brody. I think he was also struggling a bit in the third set. He lost to Shoshima Bukuro, who now has a 6-0 lifetime record in Grand Slam qualifying after making it through at Wimbledon and the US Open, which is just wild, you know? I uh, I don't understand it fully, but he did it. He, uh, he deserves all the praise, of course. At Wimbledon, he had uh, a nightmare draw against Grigor Dimitrov. And here I already mentioned that he plays Gaston. So if Shimabukuro wants to win uh, a Grand Slam match, this is a very good opportunity to do so. And let's see whether whether he can keep um, yeah, just punishing Gaston for his uh, mental mishaps. 
the 11th section, another peak where I was really close and I had Artur Cazot, who had many breakpoints in the second set to just put himself in a, in a great position to, to beat Stefano Travaglia. Also played the third set as if he was like 12 and not 21, which I think he is, right? 21. Um, I, th- I think he's just turned 21. And Stefano Travaglia, what a run. He beat Norbert Gombosch in a tight thriller. Uh, Jakub definitely would have enjoyed that. And then Milman and Cazot. Uh, all from a set down. Well, maybe he would not have enjoyed the score, but, you know, the match itself, he liked the, both players a lot. And um, Travaglia, uh, this is just a wonderful run for him. I don't know if he can keep going because he got, I think, one of the toughest opponents in the draw, potentially Tommy Paul, someone that I think will reach the quarterfinals or even beyond. Um, so, so it could be too tough for Travaglia, but many times this year we've said that he still has that top 100 quality in him. He just cannot really produce it for many matches in a row. Uh, but I'm very happy for him that he, he managed to make it. And he, this is going to be his first slam main draw since the 2022 Australian Open. And the 12th section was my last, um, yeah, was the last guy that I picked and, and he reached the final round and it was James Duckworth who lost 2-6, 2-6 to Timofei Skatov. And uh, yeah, that was a pretty huge loss, obviously. Uh, Skatov qualifying for the US Open. Before that, he qualified for Rangaros and also the Australian Open. Not, the, not, not all this year, but what I mean is that lifetime, he has played six Grand Slam qualifying events and he has made it three times. So a 50% success rate, which is just incredible in an event which is so competitive usually. Uh, I don't think this was like the Australia 2022 level when he was using that forehand so efficiently, but he was pretty good, you know, he he qualified without dropping a set, he kind of was barely dropping games in some of these matches, so uh, yeah, let's see how he does in the main draw, and uh, from what I can remember, I actually cannot remember, oh, he plays Alex Deminor, so... Yeah, seems like it just will be too tough. And it was also like this at Ron Garros, where I think he played Dimitrov in the in the first round and just got destroyed. And Duckworth is the only lucky loser so far. And as I already mentioned, he's going to play Maligani Alves. For me, it's the Brazilian who is the favorite to win that match. But maybe it's also... Um, like, maybe Duckworth just sorts his physical issues out and, and plays better in the main draw. Who knows? 13th section I had Maxim Cressy to win and he lost in the second round to Yoris Delors. It was like a 50-50 match but Delors hit a phenomenal pass. Um, wh- when was it? Uh, Delors hit a phenomenal pass at 9-0 in the deciding set tiebreak. By the way, I just remembered that I didn't mention who was my pick in the ninth section. It was Thiago Seibov-Wild and he lost to Zdenek Kolash in the second round. So that was pretty disappointing, especially how tame that loss was. But coming back to Moreno Dalboran uh, and Cressy and the likes, Moreno Dalboran qualified by beating Yoris Delors in an unbelievable match in the final round. Honestly, Delors... Yeah, he, he really choked it on the second match point, the only one that he had on serve. He double faulted and was like middle of the net. And Moreno Dalboran managed to prevail 14-12 in the deciding set tiebreak. A great match from him, even though he actually never broke the lore, but still won. Uh, Moreno Dalboran has been coming close as well. I think maybe on two pos- previous occasions he was in the third uh, qualifying round. This time he actually makes it through and uh, kudos to him, obviously. A player who I think has such an underrated serve and uh, the potential with his forehand grinding to like, yeah, just keep himself at that sort of level, you know, steady, a seed in Grand Slam qualifying is there. So glad that we're going to see him in the main draw. Can he beat Sonego? He's not drawing dead, I would say. But I like, I don't know, maybe just comparing the chances of Virtanen against Echeverri, I like Virtanen's chances more than, than I like Moreno de Alborans against Sonego. So, um, you know, that's the sort of ballpark that I'm thinking of. Not drawing that, but obviously he's not the favorite. And in the 14th section, we have another player who apparently does very well in Grand Slam qualifying, Yu Su, uh, who also made it at the Australian Open. And in the meantime, he got like, what, three challenger main draw victories. So I don't really understand how he does it, but he beat my pick in the second round, Benoit Paire, then prevailed against Aidan Mayo in the final round, which honestly wasn't that um, high quality. You know, Mayo, Sue, that, that's not what we usually are like used to in uh, Grand Slam round, qualities round three, right? So, um, 
yeah, it just wasn't really a, a great match, but still uh, a nice effort from Sue, especially that win against Pear. He's going to play Kokinakis, so probably too strong of an opponent for him to make a main, make an impact in the main draw. And then the 15th section, I had Luca Nardi, and he had a very disappointing exit to Tiago Tirante in the first round. And who actually made it through was the second seed in this section, so 22nd overall, Dominic Stricker. Uh, beating Alexis Galerno, Pablo Yamas Ruiz, Thiago Agustin Tirante. Tirante, he lost to Ed Ron Garros in the final round. Here he cleans him up easily. The match against Yamas Ruiz, he saved match points in. And uh, in general, I think this was just another one of these like more mature performances from Stricker this year, which, uh, yeah, I think he's really improved in this regard. Maybe still has a shot at breaking the top 100 this year. We'll see. Even though right now he's a bit further away with uh, the Zook titles that the uh, Zook title points that he dropped, and when it comes to the main draw, he plays Popirin again. Popirin was his rival at Wimbledon in round one, and Stricker won seven five in the third. Can he do it again? Uh, I think it's just a straight up lottery, you know. It's a fifty fifty. I know Popirin has been doing well since uh, the Umag title, the Cincinnati quarterfinals. But is he really doing that much better to, to have him as like a considerable favorite against Stricker? For me personally, not really. So I, I, I view it as a 50-50. And the last uh, section, we had Emilio Nava pulling through. And this is also another player who suddenly like does so well in Grand Slam qualifying. The Australian Open this year, round three, losing to Jari. Uh, and then he qualifies for Ron Garros and the US Open. At Wimbledon, he didn't make the cut. He beat Barrios Vera, Vavasori, and then Elliot Spitziri uh, in the final round. So a bit of a surprise there, definitely. But Spitziri had to retire at one free down in the third. Spitziri also beat my pick, Alexander Kovacevic. Nava had a main draw wildcard for the US Open the last couple of years, but this time he didn't make the cut. Uh, and well, he, he had to get into he had to start from the qualifying. He managed to do that. And he plays Emilio Nava, uh, sorry, <laughs> Emilio Nava plays Emilio Nava. He plays Casper Ruth in the first round, which might actually be pretty exciting. I don't know if Nava has the consistency to win three matches, uh, sorry, three sets against Casper Ruth. Probably not. Uh, but I am excited for this, and I think Ruth might actually be tested a fair bit. And yeah, so that's going to be it. Um, the qualifying. I think it was pretty exciting, but there were definitely some players that I would have loved to see in the main draw, which didn't make it, like Kazo, um, who else was there, like, like who actually felt like a potential threat in the main draw, I'm, I'm forgetting now, but uh, obviously Streaker making it through, and also Menshik, that's, that's really good, because I think both of these could potentially... Uh, I don't know if in their particular sections, but like they, you know, they just have such a high ceiling that they can beat basically anyone. There was also oh Yuncheng Shang that I really wanted to see in the main draw. Mahach as well, I think could have made a splash. And yeah, Kazo. Uh, but yeah, Striker Menchik probably the most exciting of the qualifiers. Just not really taking draw into consideration, but just in general, right? And uh, yeah, with, uh, with that, I think we can go to the 450s that we had this week. I don't know how many, uh, you know, how many hours you guys spent watching the Tangers this week. For me, I think it was actually more than it usually is in Grand Slam qualifying weeks because, well, Prague, Augsburg and um, Augsburg, I guess, and uh, Zhuhai were uh, before US Open qualies, right? So... There was a lot of opportunities and also Lima, we had some days during US Open qualifying that were rained off. So Lima, you know, came in handy. But I think I'm going to start with Prague, where we had Rudolf Molecker beating Gabriel De Bru in the final. So for Molecker, this is the second challenger title after Helbron 2018. If you don't know that, in 2000, back in 2018, Molecker was just 17 when he won in Heilbronn. And this was when everyone just thought that he was going to be the next big thing. He made many comebacks from a set down in that uh, run. I think four of them out of five matches. Let me quickly check that. Absolutely. Hanfman, Vatutin, Londero, Vesely. You know, that was a really, really tough draw back in the day. And uh, Molecker, of course, struggled then for a few years, despite qualifying for two slams in 2019, making another challenger final in Poznan. Then a few years he had a weaker uh, period, but this year, since like around maybe April, uh, he is back to his very best, I think. I don't know if it's quite the level from 2019-18, but it is close, like for the first time in ages, it's actually a conversation. 
I think he's got a great chance to be back into Grand Slam qualifying range for the Australian Open. And when it comes to this run, he only lost serve twice. He lost his serve twice in a clay event, which kind of tells you how dominant he was, beating Rosol, Chazal, Gomez, Vachero, and De Bru. Um, so yeah, very happy about this run for Molecker, who is just so much posi- more positive on the court this year and h- hits through his backhand as well. And uh, yeah, hopefully that's going to continue. Gabriel De Bru uh, was the finalist. Uh, we've had him reach the semifinals in Lyon last year so sorry last year in june uh, last year he won ron garros juniors obviously a talented prospect although frankly i still don't really get his game like i'm st- still really not sure what he's gonna be in a few years like what sort of play style is he gonna have uh, but that's also that also makes him really exciting he survived some very tough matches against neumeyer kodat souza and um, also started from the qualifying which he dominated obviously and then he just lost to Molecker 6-2-6-2. I think the matches against Souza Kodat uh, just, yeah, just really left um, him a bit gasless, you know? He just didn't have much, that much left in the tank anymore. And and that's how the final was very easy for Molecker. He was also trying to put the German, like, he kept trying to put the German into, like, backhand cross-court rallies, and it just wasn't working out. Molecker was easily outplaying him in, in all of these. But still a fantastic run for the Brew, who I think will be uh, very close to the top 100 right now. Uh, sorry, top Jesus, not the top 100 yet, of course, to the top 300, I mean. And yeah, it's just very exciting to see what actually comes out of this guy, because he is, of course, 17, very talented, but still um, kind of raw in, in terms of his you know game plan and yeah, just the knowledge, understanding of what he has to do on the court. Uh, Joao Souza, the semi-finalist, obviously he came back recently after like a two-month break. I read that he wasn't even sure after Porto, after the final, that he wants to continue his career at 34 years of age. But, you know, honestly, it seems like he should because he beat Royer, he beat Foretek, he beat Darderi. He lost to De Bruyne in a tight match. I think his level was pretty spectacular all week. It was just like he did in Porto, right? The light feet, the, the forehand shot making... And hopefully he's just gonna keep playing because right now this is the best that we've seen of Joao Souza from you know for a couple of years. And the other semi-finalist was Valentin Vachero. We had a chance to talk about him when he, or actually maybe we actually didn't, when he played uh, San Marino or Yasi. He made the second rounds and there was a bit of like uh, regret there, especially when he played Alexander Weiss in San Marino. But recently, he has been like just a beast at the ITF level, you know. Since let's start this in the middle, yeah, let's just start this at the beginning of May, and I'm gonna read this out to you. Semi final, quarter final, semi final, losing to Moleker, by the way, quarter final, title, title, and then I think he only played one more ITF and was in the finals just before Prague, losing to Marvin Meller. So, yeah, fantastic run from the Monegasque player. And um, yeah, he just lost to Moleker again, but that's no shame. And he beat Paulson, I think, especially was the was the biggest win in the quarterfinals. And when it comes to the doubles in Prague, we had the top seed final between Petr Noza and Andrew Paulson, beating Filip Bergevi and Mik Veldher. Uh, so Noza Paulson, I think, obviously a very very strong pairing, huge serves. Uh, Noza is currently at number 100 in the doubles rankings, Andrew Paulson around one, top 150, and they have a very strong record together. They actually have already won four challengers this year, Prague, Skopje, Liberec, and Prague again. So basically they have uh, four challenger titles this year and three of them in the Czech Republic. Uh, I loved watching them also in last year in Bratislava live. I think they were very exciting in that uh, quick indoor conditions, especially on the outside court. So uh, they lost, I think, to Molchanov Nedovyesov there in the final. And uh, yeah, let's just go over to Augsburg then, the other Challenger 50 that we had in Europe this week, where we had Carlos Taberner claim the title against Oriol Roca Bataya. And um, yeah, like an all Spanish grind fest final. But Taberner's forehand offense was just so much stronger. You know, he was able to dictate, move, move Roca Bataille around the court in a way that his compatriot cannot. 
Tabernet uh, down to 361, I think, before this week. Right now he's going to be back in the top 300. This was both injuries and also a poor run of form. Uh, and this run almost never happened because in the second round he was love for down in the third against Oliver Crawford. But then other matches, he actually won them pretty comfortably against players like Stoder, Buruchaga, Rokabataya. So a great run from the Spaniard. And yeah, he just looked again like a player who potentially could be a, you know, a challenger mainstay. Top 100 that he reached um, last year, right? Last year. I don't know if this is really possible for him in the near future. I think his top 100 showing was a little too much in terms of like how good his game is, but maybe he can prove me wrong. And if he keeps playing like this week in most of the matches, he, he might have a shot. Olir Lokabataya, uh, he had a very long break between challenger finals because he, the, the only previous one was in 2015 in Kenitra, I think, in uh, Morocco. And there he lost to Carbaez Bena, actually retiring at 1-6-1-5 down. So another great look, just, uh, you know, looking at it eight years later, I obviously cannot remember what happened in that match. I don't think I was following uh, the Challenger Tour even, other than like maybe some polls and some some big events, some big results, uh, big names playing it. But anyway, uh, Rocco Bataya made another Challenger final at 30 years of age, wasn't able to get over the line, but he did beat Negritu, Diaz, Serdarusic and Zanelato. Uh, so a pretty solid run, I think, especially beating Serdarusic and Diaz without dropping a set. And yeah, I, I just think he was outplayed by Taberner in the final, but that's no shame, obviously. Timo Stoder was a, a semi-finalist. Uh, we had him on the show in Poznan when he was talking about like maybe putting a bit too much pressure on himself uh, this year because he just wanted to start playing challengers. And uh, yeah, the, the the ITF results that he had over the course of um, the second half of 2022 just wasn't really repeated on the stronger circuit. But he is doing a bit better now. He won an ITF recently. He made that semi in Poznań. Now he makes another challenger semi. Uh, beat Hassan Andres Martin, the Georgia Tech college player who made the trip to Europe, and also Max Hokes. So I think a very nice run for Stoddard too. And hopefully he's just gonna yeah just be more. Uh, yeah, just be more competent at the challenger level from now on. And the total surprise package was Nicolas Zanelato from Brazil, a 21-year-old who is currently at 530 in the challenger rank in the ATP tour uh, in the ATP rankings. In terms of his previous challenger appearances, he never really made anything. Like he played some challenger qualies last year didn't make it through, and this year he was in Florianopolis, Cali, and Medellin. He finally made it through the qualifying, losing to Soriano Barrera, who obviously was the semi-finalist at that event later, so maybe not that bad a loss. And I remember seeing him beating Lamazine in the qualifying, and I was like, what a terrible loss for the Frenchman, you know? This is where he could have made some challenger impact, a challenger 50. But, um, you know, seeing that Zanelato actually managed to beat Ayupovic, Meller, and Kargui, Obviously, in hindsight, it doesn't look that bad. Roca Bataya uh, was definitely much stronger than him in the semis, though. So, yeah, let's see if Zanelato can even produce something like this again. There are a lot of players this week. You know, this was a good opportunity for, for the guys ranked outside the top 250 because everyone is, is at Grand Slam qualifying. It's only 250s. So there's a lot of guys where we're going to be like... Okay, but let's see whether he maintains that. And Zanelato is definitely one of them. And um, when it comes to the doubles in Augsburg, we had the top seeds, Konstantin, um, Konstantin Franz and Hendrik Jebens beating um, Bitun Kuzmin and Uzilowski. And um, Franz and Jebens, obviously a great pairing. They have a fantastic record this year. They've started playing even some main tour events. They've, they won Heilbronn, they won Augsburg, they won Mauthausen, Biel... And I think that's it. So they also have four challenger titles this year, just like um, just like Noza and Paulsen. Or actually, am I wrong? Did I? Yeah, they lost in the final in Malthausen. Sorry, they only have three. So Biel, Heilbronn and Augsburg, two of them in Germany. And uh, when it comes to Augsburg, though, it wasn't really easy for him because they had to save a number of match points in the, in the quarterfinals. Uh, but eventually the final, they, they really dominated. 
Anyway, let's get to Lima, maybe. Let's leave China for last. The Challenger 15 Lima, which was won by Guillen Meza, Alvaro Guillen Meza, the 20-year-old Ecuadorian, who, honestly, I only really found out about when, it, around June, he played Pavel Chash in two consecutive ITFs. One was a final, and Chash won that one easily, and then Guillen Meza beat him in the quarterfinals the week after. So that was quite exciting, and um, actually, I, I was pretty impressed with the guy. You know, he, he has like a very good clay court skill set, a nice forehand to yeah both dictate and also maybe just go for winners as well. And yeah, so, so maybe not that surprised that he won here. He also recently won 15Ks. Well, that 15K where he beat Chash in Slovenia, but also the 15K in Peru recently. So Peru, again, was very kind to him here. He beat uh, Haide in a pretty crazy match in the second round and then made a huge mess out of his um, quarterfinal against Arclon Huertas del Pino. But eventually he managed to take down Renzo Olivo, a very experienced challenger competitor, and then Blaze Bicknell in the final, uh, which I think was a very unexpected lineup, obviously. But uh, yeah, I think it was very just visible that when it comes to the clay court tools, it's Guillen Meza who has a lot more than Bicknell in the final. And uh, yeah, let's get to the finalists then. Blaze Bicknell, uh, representing Jamaica. I think he has both the uh, both American and Jamaican citizenship. Um, we are on cracked rackets, so we have to mention that obviously he is a college player. I think he used to play for Florida, but then he moved to University of Tennessee, uh, if I remember correctly. Definitely he is at, at Tennessee right now. Yeah, and Bicknell, uh, before this, he was in Winnipeg and Granby on the Challenger Tour. He made it through the qualifying in Granby, then lost to Justin Boulay. Uh, when it comes to 2022, he played a lot of Challengers. Well, a lot, maybe. No, no, that's a stretch. But he played a, a few Challengers at the end of the year. He only made it through the qualifying once in Temuco. But it was also... Oh, oh sorry. He made it through the qualifying in Guayaquil, then won, won only four games against Chequinato. And then also went in as a lucky loser in Temuco and lost to Dominguez. So definitely wasn't holding up that well. But after this college season, he won an ITF title, his first ITF title, beating Kozbinov, Drugs. Good results, really. And then this run was very surprising because Lima is not on altitude, you know, it's it's like a regular speed of a clay court. So I wasn't really expecting that from him. He beat Juan Pablo Fikovic, Ignacio Buse and Murkel Delian to get to the final. He also saved the match point against Murkel Delian. And in the first the first set, he was pretty unplayable on serve against Guillen Meza. So even though you could see that Guillen Meza is just so much more competent in the rallies, uh, at least on clay, Bicknell was still holding on and it was only like a series of uh, pretty weak errors in the first set tiebreak that basically made him lose the match. Uh, the momentum was there with the Ecuadorian and he managed to get there. But yeah, Bicknell breaks the top 500 while still being a college player, which of course is pretty impressive. But that's the sort of results that he's been getting this year since um, since finishing the college season. And the aforementioned semifinalists, Murkel Delian, I think he was clearly one of the best players in the field. I remember pointing him out as one of the potential winners. By the way, my winner picks were pretty awful this week as well. So it's not only Grand Slam qualifying that I suck at predicting, it's the Challenger Tour as well. I think there was one event where I maybe had some chances. Yeah, it was Prague when I picked Joao Souza, but otherwise not really. But yeah, Murkel Delian was definitely among the main contenders to, to go far here. He managed to beat Alves, Sakamoto, Lama and then lost to Bicknell having a match point, so quite disappointing for the Bolivian. Maybe he could have had a chance, you know, at, at taking his first challenger title here, because obviously at the beginning of the year in Tigre, he lost to Juan Manuel Serundolo and even took a set in that final. That was his only challenger final. And Renzo Olivo, he had such a terrible drop down this year, you know, he, he is just in awful form most of the time. He made the semifinals in Piracicaba at the beginning of the year, but then just a quarterfinal in Trosdorf as a lucky loser, quarterfinal in Blois. But most of the time he's really struggling to put wins together. This time he did, although these were some crazy matches against Conor Huertas del Pino, then Gonzalo Villanueva losing the first set in a bagel, then another comeback from a set down against Gonzalo Bueno, and eventually he lost to Guillen Meza. But yeah, just looking at how uh, this season has been going for Olivo in general, uh, certainly uh, this is still an improvement 
However, you know, a player like Olivo, who has won Challenger titles in the past, I think maybe three of them, and yeah, you would just expect him to clean up this sort of field, right? He he wasn't the top 100 before, after all. But yeah, the season just hasn't been kind to him. So um, this run also exemplifies that, even though he made the semis, actually. And then the uh, doubles champions in Lima were uh, Gonzalo Bueno and Daniel Adolfo Daniel Vallejo. Very interesting pairing of the two very strong juniors. Bueno was, I think, in the top 10. Uh, Vallejo was the number one, obviously. And then they played uh, Jorge Panta and Ignacio Busse in the final. So also a very strong junior from Peru, Ignacio Busse. In fact, I think even Jorge Panta used to be a very good junior, right? But of course, Panta is 28. So it was a long, long while ago. I kind of have to check that. But I'm pretty sure he he had a strong juniors record. Yeah, number nine back in 2013. So so it was talented juniors all over the place. Buse, Panta, the Peruvian duo, and Bueno Vallejo, Peru, Paraguay, obviously. Bueno and Buse are supposed to like lead the charge for Peruvian tennis after Varias is gone. And so far they are improving slowly but steadily. And Zhuhai, the last Challenger 50, it was in China. Um, was it the most interesting event? It was a bit wild, but it actually got reasonably exciting, I think. Even though uh, in the quarterfinals we only had one seeded player, and it was Jason Jung, who was very close to losing in that second round to Fajing Soon, 3-5 down. But before that, let's talk about an incredible story of Arthur Weber, a 31-year-old from France, who only made his professional debut in 2017 as a 24-year-old. Then uh, before that, he played some college tennis in the States. He is actually based in Asia. He is based in Vietnam, I think in Ho Chi Minh. And uh, it wasn't really until last summer when he started playing like a full schedule, just, you know, regularly trying himself in ITFs. And since then, he has won four ITF titles. And now he is also a challenger champion. So at the challenger level, he only made his appearance, the first appearance this year, losing in the first qualifying round twice to Jay Clark and Dimitri Popko. So he never had a challenger major appearance before this. And he beat Filip uh, Pelivo, Zgirovski, Liaonenka, Sakelaridis in the semi-final, and then against Jong in the final. He was definitely getting outplayed for a while, but then, you know, that lefty counter-punching that he had, he was pretty smart with it. He managed to get the errors from, from Jason Jung. And uh, yeah, just, just won the title as one of the most unexpected winners. You know, he is 31 years old. So he also uh, gets very high on the list of oldest challenger first-time champions. He's actually fourth, losing by just a few days to Martin Rodriguez and by a lot more to Peter Fleming and Joseph Siriani. Yes, Peter Fleming, the former doubles number one or number two. You know the guy. I mean, he played with Johnny Mack quite a lot. I think he was the, the word number one, right? Uh, let me let me quickly check that. But yeah, he was the number eight in singles and number one in doubles, winning seven Grand Slams. So um, yeah, basically, um, Siriani, Fleming and Martin Rodriguez are the guys who won their first challenger titles when they were older than Arthur Weber. Recently, we had Matija Pekotic very close to breaking that record completely by like two years. Uh, but of course, eventually he lost to Ilya Marchenko in Salinas. Still an incredible story from, from Arthur Weber. Um, I hope that, you know, he gets some media attention and tells it to someone as well. If I if I see him at an event this summer, you know, or, or maybe just in the future, I'm definitely going to want to talk to him uh, about this incredible rise that he's had, you know, at, at, at basically starting playing pro tennis, like regularly at the age of uh, 30. So that's, yeah, that's just insane. And... Uh, who knows how far he can get? Um, the ceiling does not seem that high, uh, but he was playing very smart this week for sure, and, and he managed to get over the line. And I remember being disappointed when Palivo lost to him in the first round. Well, in hindsight, he lost to the eventual champion. And Jason Jung, the aforementioned, uh, he actually is having a bit of a resurgence this year. Not many probably noticed it because, well, it's like a what, Challenger Semi on Taburi, Challenger Quarterfinal in Gwangyu, some ITF success. So it's, it's not the biggest stories, but he's definitely playing better than in the past couple of years, maybe even since the pandemic, you could say. 
And yeah, he, he had that comeback that I mentioned against Fudging Soon. He was also the big favorite against Arthur Weber in the final. Uh, pulled it around, but then another streak of errors to get broken in the third set, to fall behind. He just wasn't really able to um, control his game enough to beat the Frenchman. Even though, obviously, Zhang is like the stronger ball striker and yeah, a very talented player who once was very close to the top 100. The uh, semi-finalists, uh, Stefanos Sakelaridis, uh, the 18-year-old Greek who won his first, uh, sorry, made, made his first um, challenger uh, main draw appearance in Kozerki last week when he lost to Kashnikovsky and then uh, made this run in Zhuhai where the big win was against Ricardas Berankis in the second round. Berankis seemed like one of the favorites potentially to claim the title, so I think this will be very disappointing for him. Sakularidis has some potential. I remember um, tweeting about it when he played in Kozerki that he has like a very fast arm. He is pretty loose with it, with the forehand, but yeah, it's just 90% out, it seems. You know, he's just incredibly wild with it, but uh, there, there is some slight potential there. He is, of course, well known as one of the uh, Sakelaridis family, Sapfo on the women's tour with the amazing, very weird serve, and then Dimitris and Michalis. Um, a, a few weeks ago, they were actually all in Poland because Sapfo was playing a 40k in Wrocław, and uh, Dimitris and Michalis were playing, uh, what was that week, uh, 25, a 25k in Bielsko-Biała, and Stefanos was playing in Kozerki. Stefanos also got pretty famous at the United Cup this year when he beat Zizu Bergs, then played Musetti in Goyo. Uh, but yeah, so an, a pretty exciting run for him. Obviously never really had a challenger main draw win before because his debut was against Kashnikovsky in Kozerki. But yeah, beating Berankis must be huge for the guy, even if the Lithuanian is clearly not doing that hot right now and probably should have been winning these sort of events, right? But he is not at present. And then the other semi-finalist was actually Jali. Uh, he is now 36, but if you guys were watching Challenger Tennis in like 17, 18, 19, even Shanghai, you know, the ATP 1000, he would get wildcards there because he was just one of the best Chinese players. His career high is 193. And since the pandemic, he has been playing like very irregularly. In 2021, he only appeared in a cup in three matches, the Australian Open Qualies and then Istanbul Challenger Qualies. You know, in 2022, he was playing some ITF tournaments, free challenger qualifying, up, sorry, main draw appearances at the beginning of the year. No, two. And then some ITFs, uh, even making the final against Santillan. And then this year, he also just barely appeared in some of the Asian events. So so having China, uh, ha having events in China again is a huge boost for this guy and a few other Chinese veterans. And uh, yeah, I'm just really excited to see what he can do in the rest of these Chinese events. Although I'm actually not sure if he's in Zhang Jiagang, right? I think I think he's actually not in Zhang Jiagang. So so yeah, let's see if he keeps playing these. But he beat Haliak, Han Wenli and Evgeny Karlovsky and then lost to Zhang, which I think is a very solid run. And um, yeah, just good to see one of these Chinese veterans again. And uh, really, before the generation, well, I, I don't want to say generation because Zhang is not the same generation. Uh, well, Zhang and Wu is not, are not the same generation as Zhang. But like before th this trio came along and China actually got some main tour players now, uh, Zhali was one of the, the strongest guys along with like Di Wu and, and etc. So uh, Yan Bai, who also played Zhuhai this week. So. Uh, yeah, it's just, just nice to see him after a while, and he is, of course, 36, so we're not going to be watching him until the end of day. And um, Zhuhai, uh, the doubles uh, final was uh, Luca Castelnuovo and uh, Filippo Livo beating uh, the Chinese pairing of Zheli and Han Wenli. So also another good showing from the from the Chinese that I just mentioned. Very surprised with the fact that Filip Palivo won the doubles title here, you know. Generally speaking, he is not the strongest doubles player. Although over the years he has managed to grab some, uh, some titles uh, just before this, not really at the challenger level. This was the first one. And uh, yeah, this year he just hasn't been focusing on it at all. But he decided to play doubles in Zhuhai. He's also playing doubles in Zhang Jagang with Arthur Weber. So the guy who, who beat him in the opening round in Zhuhai in singles. I wish it was a singles title for Pelivo, but doubles will do as well, right? Uh, 
And uh, when it comes to match and upset of the week, I put out the poll and I think uh, it was De Bru against Souza that won there, which I think is a fine call. I am actually going to go with another... Um, yeah, with another Joao Souza match, and it's going to be the one against Darderi in the quarterfinals. I think that was marginally more interesting to me, but I, I, I respect the Debru against Souza peak. I also put two options from Zhuhai in the poll, which was Weber against Jung. The final was very exciting with the huge story of the 31-year-old from France. And also an underrated pick, I think, was Iju playing Philippe Sekulic in the second round. I think that was really huge and... Um, the drama in this match, along with yeah, just just a surprisingly good level from the young Chinese player, I think it was it was just wonderful watching uh, that on one of the mornings here in Poland. I can't remember what day it was, maybe like Wednesday, but uh, this match like kept going forever, and it was it was a really exciting follow. When it comes to upset of the week, let me see what we had. Uh, when it comes to the bookies, it doesn't seem like there was that much in Prague. Uh, that that was um, upset of the week contender like Zanelato beating Meller. I don't know if it's that huge. Bailey beating Topo. I was surprised that it's six one six two, but um, I wasn't surprised with the actual result. I'm 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 shocked by the odds there, frankly. Bikner beating Fikovic was pretty huge, but then again, Fikovic outside of altitude usually isn't that great. Yes, I think it has to be Zhuhai, which had a few uh, had a few shockers, absolutely. Liaonenka beating Savi. Look, Savi focusing more on singles this year and getting this sort of a loss. Um, also, um, there was, I think, um, Liaonenka beating Sinclair, also a big score, but I, I was actually thinking of Sakelaridis over Berankis. You know what? I'm going to do Sakelaridis over Berankis because... Even if Berankis has been struggling, and in, in Kozerki he lost to Charles Broom, I still thought he was surely beating Sakelaridis, because I remember thinking that Sakelaridis had no chance against Kashnikovsky in Kozerki, just because he's too wild, and it was exactly the case, like, he just was nowhere near consistent enough, so I, I, I was assuming that Berankis was going to beat him too, and yeah, I think I'm going to go with Berankis over Sakelaridis. With Liaonenka against... Um, Look, Savi, I just had zero knowledge about Liaonenka before this weekend. And perhaps that's just why I don't feel like picking it as my upset of the week, you know. So, yeah, with that, we can get to the free challengers that we're going to have during the uh, first week of the US Open um, main draw. And these events are actually all Challenger 75s, so we have total freedom in choosing which one to talk about first. We have Mallorca, the Rafa Nadal Open, we have Como uh, on clay, the Rafa Nadal Open is on hard, as you probably know, and also the Chinese swing continues in Zhang Jiagang. So yeah, maybe let's start with Mallorca, which has a number of alternates in the draw. The main draw actually starts on Tuesday. It's one of these events. I think they just want the players from US Open qualifying to uh, have a shot at playing. But most of them actually withdrew. And that's why it was also like this. That's why it was also, um, you know, a billion of alternates in the draw. Let me count them quickly. I think it's 12 out of 32. So that's pretty huge. And yeah, the top seed is Thomas Barrios Vera, and he might be in trouble early. He's playing Jules Marie. Then you have Coleman Wong with a wild card playing Nick Hart. If you don't know Coleman Wong, he won two Grand Slam, uh, two Grand Slams in juniors, uh, but in doubles. Uh, then we also have Souza, Joao Souza playing Kalin Ivanovski. So Souza goes to hard courts again, but he should be strong here again, I think. Uh, one of them will play Aron Mayo. Elias Immer plays Arthur Ferry. This is quite exciting too. I think Ferry was in a quarter-final in Portugal last week, losing to Barroso Campos. Mark Layal is there as well as an alternate. There's a wildcard for Martin Landalusa, the 2022 US Open Boys Singles Champion. And Alexander Richard as well is in this section. And in the bottom half, we have Federico Gallo playing Daniel Rincon. Uh, Marco Trujeliti will play Johannes Monday, the British college player. There's also Antoine Escoffier the third seed, and he can play Alejandro Morocanias or Maximilian Neukrist in the second round after facing a qualifier. And another wildcard is Jaroslav Demin. We've seen him in some of these Spanish challengers already, obviously a very talented junior as well. He's going to play Mattia Bellucci. Did Demin uh, make the final at Wimbledon, right? 
He made he made the final Wimbledon boys singles this year. He's playing Mattia Bellucci in the opening round, then one of them will face Ferreira Silva or a qualifier. And the second seed here is Hamad Medjedovic, who's gonna play Nicolas Mejia and then Locoli or Shellbike. Um, yeah, when it comes to the qualifying, which starts today, uh, it actually has started already and uh, Christian Langmo is the first winner, Vatutin is back after four months, uh, Jumhur, Igor Seisling, by the way, plays here uh, with a protected ranking, apparently he is no longer Team Van Rijthoven's coach, yeah, which I learned from Sam Verbeek today, and uh, Seisling has been playing some ITFs in doubles in Asia this year. And right now he comes back to singles, uh, about 20 months, I think, after his retirement. And he's going to play Kenny the Schepper, so a very vintage matchup there. Bern- Bernie Tomek is also in this draw, um, Ulysses Blanche, Maxime Janvier. So it's pretty strong, you know, there are actual contenders here. Peter Petr Gojovczyk, Butfilas plays Charlie Broom, that's a good one in the first round. Eli- Gastao Eliash, I know. Um, you know, he's still an exciting player to a lot of people, so so maybe they can also enjoy him here. Nardi is the defending champion, but he did not choose to play here. And uh, yeah, when it comes to the doubles, I like the pairing of Johannes Mande with Shimon Valkov, but they're going to play Aesthetic Niklas Salminen right away, so that's tough. Some great junior pairings with Landalusa and Coleman Wong. Let's see how they do. Aribaje Sanchez, the top seeds, of course, uh, as usual recently. And yeah, when it comes to the winner pick, um, I'm thinking of Medjedovic. Honestly, I'm not sure how he's going to do on hard courts now, because last year he just was barely winning matches, right? But then again, I think this year he has actually made an improvement. He was close to beating Goyo at the US Open. He already had a solid run in Bangalore at the beginning of the year. I think he could be a threat. His draw is pretty okay, although Belucci or Shelby, I think these are the sort of opponents that could get Hamad into trouble. Escoffier, he, he gets some deep runs usually, but playing Morocanias in the second round, I don't really like that draw. I'm also thinking of Layal as like a potential, you know, just ballsy pick from me. And I think I might just follow up Joao Souza again, though. He looked great in Porto, he looked great in Prague. No reason why it shouldn't continue, I think. Although the surface switch, like the very uh, quick surface switch, this could be a bit rough for him. Uh, But I like his opener against Ivanovski. I'm going to go with Joao Souza again, as I did in in Prague. And let's see Como, the clay, uh, the only clay challenger 75 that we have this week, which has Thiago Seibofield in a blockbuster round one matchup against Franco, Aga- Franco Agamenone. Then Nicolas Sanchez Izquierdo, Lucas Neumeyer can play them. Also a few alternates here, actually three of them. Uh, then we have Flavio Coboli playing Rudolf Molecker in the opening round. I mean, that's just another cracker right away. Celso Gianessi, their second round rivals. Benoit Perez there coming over from New York as well. And he's going to play a qualifier and then Fatic or Lorenzo Carboni with a wild card. Andres Martin, the Georgia Tech player, continues his um, clay tour around Europe. And he's going to play Ivan Gakov. I don't know if he has a chance. Then he'll play Kuzmano for a qualifier. This is a huge one. Fabio Fognini with a wild card playing Gerard, Gerard Campania Lee. That will be huge. And then Gigante or Napolitano in the second round. That's a very tough section of the draw, especially as on the other half of this, we have Lu- Luciano Darderi playing Thiago Monteiro and one of them potentially facing Dujaj Dukovic, so the recent Ludenscheid champion. This is excellent. And then in the bottom half, we have Jean-Bor Piroz, who after losing to Tabur in Todi, he actually didn't make the trip for US Open qualities. So I think he was probably injured. So let, let's see how he does here physically. He can play Nagar or Bonadio in the second round. And there's also a, another great first round match against Mart- between Martinez and Lavagno. So um, honestly, just so many good challenger round one matches here in Como. So definitely I, I encourage you to watch this. I think they're also going to start on Tuesday after all because it's been raining in Como and it's also been raining in uh, Zhang Jiagang. So I think actually all of these challengers that we have this week are, are actually going to start their main draw um, on Tuesday, as initially I think only Mallorca intended to do. Anyway, uh, in the qualifying, which is going on right now, Guinard is playing Martino, 
but we only we don't really have any players in yet uh, in the second round yet. Guinard, very strong qualifying player. Usually he doesn't have to do that either. Um, Rodriguez Taverna. We have Dalla Valle, who's in amazing form right now. Also, um, well, maybe Calvin Emery can do something, but they are in like pretty similar sections, you know. Guinard, Emery can play each other in the final round. Rodriguez Taverna can play Dalla Valle. So that's not ideal for all of these guys. Otherwise, maybe Kirian Jacquet. He had a nice patch of play recently. But I don't think any qualifiers will be really going into, um, yeah, will be winning this event. And the diff- the, the, the tough thing with... Um, a lot of good opening round matches is always the fact that you don't know who you want to pick, right? Because Sabo Fulda Gamenone, I don't want to go into this, Moleker Koboli, uh, then you have Fonini Campania Lee and Darderi Monteiro, Darderi potentially playing Ajdukovic, Martinez Lavagno even. I really don't know what to do. And Pirosh also, even if I trusted that he's, he was going to be fine physically, he is going to play Nagal or Bonadio very early. It's just so hard to pick from this one. And I'm st- I'm still really unsure what to do. I think I'm just going to go with Benoit Paer. Uh, believing in Benoit Paer did not go right for me at the US Open qualifying. Maybe it's going to be marginally better here. That's That's what I'm hoping for. Because he has a nice section, you know, Fatich or Carboni in the second round and then Martin, Gakov, Kuzmanov. It's just weaker than all of these sections in the draw. And Como, by the way, I, I love this draw. I think it's a lot a lot more exciting than Mallorca. And uh, then the last event, Challenger 75, of course, in Zhang Jiagang in China. We have Buyun Chaokete as the first seed playing Rigalete. Then Pelivo will face Palan. There's also James McCabe playing Luke Savi in this section. And then Lorenzo Giustino potentially. Rio Noguchi is the fourth seed. And the other seed in that section is Jason Jung. Uh, some of the players they could face are Ivan Zhu going here, interestingly. Or Mukund Sasikumar or Stefano Sakararidis, the semi finalist from last week. This is an absolute cracker in the first round. Ricardas Berankis, Yasutaka Uchiyama. I don't know what the level will be, but you know the names are certainly vintage. Robert Strombach, or a qualifier, will be their second round opponent. Also, Kaichi Uchida plays as a, as the third seed here, facing Nam Huang Le or Nick Chappell. Uchida was also at US Open qualies, of course, losing to Skatov to six to six. And the last section is also really interesting. Atmane plays Fajing Soon. Lee Tu plays Filip Sekulic. That's a that's a big one as well. And one of them can face Statham or Hanven Lee. And there's also uh, Arthur Weber, of course, the, the winner from last week, playing Alafia Ayeni. That's that's going to be quite exciting too. And uh, yeah, when it comes to the qualifying, who can really win here? They're actually finishing the qualifying today. And we have... Um, what's the name of this guy? Hani Liu from China. I don't really know him. There's also Lixia, Linang Xiao, uh, who also came through. Honestly, don't know these players from, from China. Haliak, uh, who was also, I think, uh, who also maybe made it for the qualifying in Zhuhai. There's a Bulgarian player I'm not familiar with in Leonid Schengesicht who also made it through the qualies. Jan Bai, the, the one of the veterans that I mentioned, could uh, make it through because he's currently a set up on Takahashi. Also, there's going to be a match between Sekiguchi and uh, Jikui. Yeah, it does not seem like one of them will be winning the event, to be honest with you. Uh, and in the uh, in the doubles, obviously, Luke Savi, as he's playing singles, he's still trying to play doubles too. And uh, he is f- partnering Lee too. After suffering a surprising exit in Zhuhai, maybe he can go further here. Matsui Uesugi, the, to- the top seeds, just like it was in Zhuhai. There they lost to, I think, the Chinese pairing of Li and Li. Uh, Hanven Li this time is playing with Xiao Fei Wang. No, as, I, as I said, I think Zheli is just not playing this event, which is pretty interesting. I wonder if he's going to be in the next Chinese challengers. Uh, but yeah, when it comes to the winner pick from this one... Hmm, Yunchao Kata is certainly an option, but the quarter seems pretty tough. Uh, I don't know if I trust Jason Jung to go back-to-back weeks. Litu playing Sekulic, that's rough. Berankis playing Uchida, that's also surpri- That that's also not something... Uh, sorry, Uchida, Uchiyama. That's also not something that I want to go into. Terence Atmane, he looked pretty decent at qualifying for the US Open, but the section is rough. 
Yeah, it's not easy to pick anyone out of this. Uh, maybe I can just go for... I don't know. Let's try... I have to check his form, but I, I kind of want to go with Ryo Noguchi just because he seems to have like a pretty easy first couple of rounds. And obviously he has done well at the... Um, like weaker challenger level. However, this year, 10 out of 10, 19, one quarter final in Pune, it seems. Oh, sorry, two in Salinas. But yeah, in Salinas, he beat Vallejo. I think he has been a bit exposed at the challenger level this year, but when I'm looking at the players he's losing to, especially on hard courts, it's mostly players who would also have a big chance in this draw. I don't know. It, it, it's going to be rough to, to pick a winner out of this one. I'm going to try Ryo Noguchi, but I don't have much confidence in it. Um, basically, I, I was thinking about someone from the second quarter because it seems like it should be le the least competitive one, especially with the qualifiers coming through. Probably not that dangerous. But then again, as I said, I've never seen the Bulgarian Shane Gezikt or the two Chinese guys. So... Uh, maybe they will surprise us. Who knows? Maybe they're going to be another Arthur Weber. Uh, Arthur Weber was in the main draw, but you know what I mean. Anyway, uh, that's going to be it for today, guys. Uh, I think maybe next week I'm also going to mention how the qualifiers for the US Open did uh, in the actual main event. And then, of course, we're just going to talk about Como, Mallorca and Zhang Jagang and then move on to the previews. Um, any, any finishing words from me this time? Not really. I want to thank you again for the very positive reaction to um, to my tweet and to the episode last time, you know, for all the words of support following uh, the death of my of my co-host. And um, yeah, of course, we'll, we will keep mentioning, we will keep uh, bringing up Jakub in the conversation. And um, yeah, just again, wanted to thank you for the support that you guys uh, showed. And uh, yeah, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. As I said earlier, I am determined to keep this going. And uh, I honestly have fun even in, even recording this by myself, although obviously it was a lot better with, with another person, with, with someone as, as fun, as nice and as uh, competent for this as Jakub too. But uh, yeah, even by myself, I, I find a lot of joy in this. So yeah, let's keep going and Again, see you guys in in uh, seven weeks. Uh, oh, seven weeks. We're also going to see you in seven weeks. But, of course, um, before that, we also have another few episodes. Uh, I'm going to see you in seven days talking about Mallorca, Como and Zhang Jagang. Uh, see you then.